Good morning. Let's open God's word together. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 27. It's on page 812 of the Black Bibles, if you picked one up when you came in. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, as we approach your word, uh, would you give us grace? As we approach your word, would you give us great humility? May we understand this to be your word. This is your sovereign revelation to us, your people, to the world. May we heed it. May we listen. May we not delay if there is a choice that we must make this morning. God, be glorified now as we go and see and know and believe and savor your goodness that we see here in your revealed word. Of, in your, your revealed word. By your name, amen. So we have been in the Sermon on the Mount the last few months. And the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to conclude next week and we're going to say again that this sermon is really a vision. It's a vision. It's, just, it's encapsulated in just a few chapters and yet here in this greatest sermon ever is a vision for a new reality, a new way of life. This is something totally different. This is not... Jesus coming to his people and saying, like a politician would, here's what I can do for you to make your life better. Here's what I can do for you to make your society run better. Listen, you have some things right, but if you follow these, these five steps, then you'll have a really good society. He does not say that. His vision is, this world must change. 
totally, completely. Everything must be different. His vision is for the new kingdom, right? His vision is for this kingdom that is not of this world, that is coming into this one. It is overtaking our present reality. And what he says to these people, to these disciples, to these people, anyone who would listen is, you can begin to live in that reality now. But he ends in a way that should not surprise us by asking us to choose. He's saying you can believe this or not. And that's what he's going to do. It is not easy to hear. It is not easy to drink in and, and comprehend and accept. And yet we must. We must come face to face with this choice. And so he's going to walk us through different things. Sometimes it's good to take each of these chunks as a separate sermon, but sometimes going through Scripture is like riding a bike. If you stop for too long, you'll fall over. So I just want to keep on going through this section. And he's going to have us ask four questions. Which entrance, which truth, which works, and which foundation? So let's get right to it. Which entrance? Verse 13, listen to it again. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've heard that, that, that read before. You've heard someone say it. If you haven't heard that version, you may have heard the, the King James version. This is the one we like to repeat. It goes this way. It starts this way. Enter ye the straight gate. I love that. But the straight gate is not like the opposite of crooked. No, this is S-T-R-A-I-T. And that's kind of an old word, but we still use it at some level. It's a word that means confined, restricted. Compressed. So if you think of something like a straight jacket or a, a straight, a, a narrow channel that opens up to a larger bay, it's something confined, restricted, tight, confined. Jesus says that the correct gate, the right gate, is a straight gate. It is narrow, tight, not easy to get through. Even though the path on the other, and even the path on the other side of that gate, it's not like once you're through, it's like, oh, that's great. No, the path itself is difficult. It is constrained. It is hard. It is arduous. And that's the one gate. That's the one side. But there's, of course, the other one. He says it's the wide gate and the easy way, the easy path. And so it's easy to find. It's easy to walk through that thing. It's wide open. And it's easy to stay on. Easy to walk through, easy to follow. Not nearly as constricting or as arduous as the narrow gate and the hard path. So my dad, when we were, when I was a kid, I would think I was 15, he took me hiking and he heard about this amazing place. I think I've told the story before. And the the primary thing that we were hiking to was not the top of the mountain, though we did get to some top of a of a mountain. It wasn't the amazing scenery, though, it was amazing. The main reason we wanted to get up there was because of this pathway that someone had cut in to the side of the mountain. It was amazing. Someone had taken the time to chisel it out. And so literally, as you're walking down this mountain, one side is mountain, and the other side 
is a thousand feet straight down. That path was no more than three feet wide. And so I was pretty happy to get off that thing and back on the wide, fat path. There is a choice that Jesus is saying that we all must make. He's saying you're going to see both paths in front of you. You will have presented to you in your life. Maybe this is your first time. There's a choice you make. You go through the wide gate, the easy path. Or you see that straight gate, that narrow gate, that arduous journey on the other side. Which one will you follow? In reality, though, we've actually already made this choice. Really what Jesus is talking about is life here. He's just talking about our walk. This is our life. This is our life lived out, walking through the wide gate or the narrow gate. Everyone makes this decision. Everyone is walking on a path. We believe in a certain way of life. And so you could say in a sense that this is a faith journey, that everyone is on a faith journey. We all have faith in something, and so we have faith to go through one of these gates or the other. And so we walk through the doors, the gates of love and education and career and children and hobby and religion. And often these become our identities. These are the things that we base our lives on. Everyone, I think he's saying, has walked through a gate. They're walking down a path. So again... Which path are we on? Which gate have we walked through? Now, why would this matter? Why would it matter? Why would you even want to go through the narrow gate? The wide one is so much better. Only because of the destination. There's a difference. These gates lead to two very different destinations. But only two. There are only two possibilities. We don't like that. We want options in life, right? Jesus says, no, there are two options. There are two gates, two paths, two destinations. Let's just call a spade a spade. Where does the wide path lead? He uses the word destruction. And he's talking about eternal destruction. This is not just internal. It's something, a place that you go. And so, in a sense, this is fire and brimstone stuff, but it's coming from the mouth of Christ. This is coming from the mouth of the guy that everyone seems to like. I don't know if they've heard him say this, though. The end of the wide gate and the easy path is destruction. But listen, I think that we can understand it in a little bit different way. I don't think that we just have to understand it as something that happens at the end of life. If we believe the Bible to be true, then we know that what is happening in this world is that those who are on the wide path are beginning to feel and sense this destruction today. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. He says that God is giving us over into our sin. We are already beginning to feel the destruction that awaits us. It comes in the form of pain. Pain that seems to make no sense never goes away. An anxiety and depression that seems to have no significance and our constant quest for happiness and satisfaction, satisfaction that never seems to come. So I just want to ask you, does, does your life feel like destruction? 
but the narrow gate, the difficult path. It is very narrow. It is not easy. It is often painful. The road that Jesus has been calling us to walk down, to follow, these amazing teachings that he's been laying out for us, they are not for the faint of heart. To do what he's asking requires radical humility, sweeping sacrifice. Why in the world would we do it? Well, because of the destination of this path. Because this path does not end in destruction, it opens up in to something Jesus calls life. So I was on another hiking trip. This time I was with some college friends. It was a big college group. And we come upon this waterfall, right? But it was kind of a weird waterfall because it wasn't really water pouring over the top of these rocks. It was water coming out of the side of this kind of rocky area, this kind of hill area. And so we're like, that's pretty fascinating what's going on. So we climb up to the top and we look down and we can see a hole going down into this hill, right? And it's shooting out the other side. Now, I happen to be with some insane people, these crazy college guys who would literally do anything. I was not one of them, but they were. And as, I'm not kidding. As soon as one of my friends saw the hole, he goes, I'm going down. Oh, Really? And no sooner could I say, oh, really, he was swimming down and he shoots out. Now, listen, when we're looking at this thing, all I can think of, there is no way that's safe. There's no way. You don't know what's in between the, 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 the hole and the other hole. You don't know what's going to happen. You could get caught there. You could drown. And he is down it. And he shoots out the other side and lands in the water and screams. And then all my friends, they join in after him. I didn't do it. I'm still too worried. Over and over and over again. It was the coolest natural water slide I had ever seen. We look at the narrow path and it says, don't do it. Don't come down here. Don't try this. Do not follow this path. It will kill you. But when you do, it will lead to life. A life unburdened by pain and frustration and oppression. A life marked by love and peace and joy. But you've got to make the choice. You've got to get into the water, so to speak. You've got to put your faith in a gate and go down. Which will you choose? How will you choose? Two, which truth? Two, which truth? Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their 
fruit. So this, this teaching is straightforward enough, right? These are false teachers in Jesus' mind. They are leading a people away. They, they are teaching a truth, at least according to them. And Jesus is saying, is this the truth that you want in your life? Is this the truth that you want to lead you? Because they are leading you down the gate to the gate to the, the easy path that Jesus says you should not go down. These false teachers are either on the other side or they're with you saying, hey, listen, you want to come down here. You want to continue to walk down this path. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. But listen, from afar, they, they kind of look like anyone else. They, they look like the people that would walk down the narrow gate. They're saying the, the right things, as we're going to see in a second. They say the right things. They're doing the right things. Until you get up close. Then the signs start to emerge. And what does Jesus call, call these signs? Fruits. A healthy tree, he says, will bear healthy fruit. An unhealthy tree will not far away. Bad fruit might look good. It might look like something that's edible. Something that you can eat and be okay with. But when you get up to it, if you look closely, you'll spot the fake. You'll spot that thing and you'll say there is something wrong about this you will see them in other words as they really are and i mean that our fruits display who we really are our fruits say something about us our fruits are the reflection of our inner spiritual life this goes for everyone not just these false teachers Paul says in Galatians that the bad fruit is what? It's enmity, impurity, jealousy, self-indulgence, fits of anger. Now just those words by themselves, they kind of wash over me. They're kind of in one ear and out the other. And so this week, I don't usually do this, but I picked up a, the, the message version of the Bible. And I was convicted by it. He says that the bad fruit is paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition. All-consuming, yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to, be lo- to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lop- lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. That opens it up for me. The fruits of a person are the reflection of who they really are. And that is these teachers. These teachers are displaying the bad truth. This is who they are. And what do teachers do well? They teach. They teach a truth. And if they're a really good teacher, what they're doing is they're trying to get you to become like them. They are replicating themselves. They want you to believe what has mastered them. They want you to believe that what has mastered them is the wide gate, the easy path. It is the right way. And I think that's really the underlying truth here. It is truth. What you believe changes you. What you believe matters. The the truths that you hold to are vitally important because what we believe bears forth fruit. 
the truths we adopt, the principles and values we adhere to, the truths we ground our lives on, it will spring forth good fruit or bad. So this isn't so much about these teachers. This is about us. Who are we in our lives? Who are we listening to and following? What sort of truth are we bearing? Is it bad fruit like we just mentioned? Or is it good fruit? You know what the good fruit is. Paul says it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that you? Are you growing in fruit? When people get up close to your life, can they say you are more self-controlled than you were 10 years ago? You are more loving than you were 20 years ago. And to bear fruit. We are to believe a truth. Jesus says, who will you follow? Who will you believe? Three, which work? Which work? Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a tough passage. That's disconcerting. Jesus is not saying, though, what we may think he is. Jesus is setting us up to understand the gospel. He is ending this great work of laying out the vision for his community by giving us a vision for the gospel that will save us. How we get into the kingdom, just to kind of preface it, how we get into the kingdom is not what we ever believed. It is not something that we would have come up with on our own. How we get right with God, that's what he's talking about here. Because it's easy to, under, to, to see this and, and try to understand it like kind of at face value. We look at it and we go, okay, I get it. I get it. The, the good people go down the narrow road and the bad people, they go down the wide road. Good people versus bad people. Your good works, if you're a generally good person, well, that's going to get you heaven. But if you're a bad person, if you do bad things, that's going to get you hell. And we're putting ourselves in those categories, right? Whoever says, I'm a bad person. We always say, I'm a good person. What did these people believe who came to Jesus? At the end of their lives, at the end of all time, they come before the Lord of the universe. His name is Jesus Christ. What do they say to him? Who are they? From one perspective, they are really, really good. They were really, really good. What do we know about them? First, they are orthodox. They are orthodox. They have the correct beliefs. They say, Lord, Lord. What was that word, Lord? What did that mean? Well, probably to them, the, way, the reason Jesus is bringing it out is they are ascribing to him something that's different. It's, it's different than like a, a Lord in the, the United Kingdom. 
This is a different kind of Lord. In the Old Testament, it would have signaled something different, something more grand, something elevated. Most commentators think that what they are saying is that He is the Lord. They are saying to Him, You are God. He is saying that there will be people who will come to me at the end of their life and they will say, Yes, you are God. These people are orthodox. And they are passionate about it. That's the second thing. They don't just say Lord, they say Lord, Lord. That's not a redundancy. They meant it that way. When you ever said something twice, it was in order to emphasize something in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Actually, in the Old Testament, when David's son passes away, Absalom, he doesn't say Absalom, my son. What does he say? He says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. These people say, Lord, Lord, because they are passionate. They believe in what they are doing. They are serving in ministry with intensity and diligence. They are going to church all the time. They are worshiping all the time. They are doing all those things, the ones that we talked about weeks ago, and praying and fasting and giving. They are passionate for their work. And third, they are doing ministry. They are doing ministry. This is the work of a Christian. These are the, this is the work of Christians. And they're doing it well. They're doing things with power. They are doing prophecy, casting out demons. They're doing mighty things in the name of Jesus. These are good people. These are really important activities. They are orthodox. They are passionate. They are doing ministry. And what does Jesus say to them? He does not say this. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you're, you're almost there. You've almost got it. If, if you would just alter your, your way just a tiny bit, you would get to me. I would know you. I would let you in. If you would just do a few more works, if you were just a, a little more passionate. That is not what he says. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. And listen, that should stop us dead in our tracks. So let's ask the question, is doing ministry, is orthodoxy, is doing good works, is that bad? Is that what he's saying? No, 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 that's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all. But Jesus is saying something fundamentally important about himself, about us, and about the gospel. Just because these things are present in your life does not determine your salvation. Hear that again. Just because you are doing all the things that a religious person would want to do does not determine your salvation. Your works, no matter how good and how many, do not earn for you a place with God. I want to be so clear about that. That is the basis for the gospel. In other words, Christianity is really different than any other religion. What does every other religion say? Obey, and God will accept you. If I'm a good person, God will accept me. If I go to church, if I give to the poor, if I'm successful, if I lead a meaningful life, God will accept me. And Jesus says, no, you can have all of that and more. And it will be as though I never knew you. And so we have to ask this question. 
What is missing? What is missing in the hearts of these people? Listen, I I don't want to freak you out today. I don't usually preach this way. I don't usually try to divide and say, which side are you on? But that is what Jesus is doing here. We need to be honest with ourselves. This is uncovering the real gospel. This is exposing our hearts. Here's my question. What will get you in? Which works do you need to get into the kingdom? How much goodness do you need for Jesus to see you? July 4th is coming up. It's tomorrow and we will shoot off fireworks or if you live in Massachusetts, you will watch fireworks. And we will, our lives shoot up before God and for others. Here is our goodness. Here is who we are. We are good. And Jesus says, I will see all that. And it will be as though I never knew you. What will it take? What will get you into the kingdom? Last point. Which foundation? Which foundation? Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and the great and great was the fall of it. People who build their house on the sand, I bet you've heard this before. Now, the sand in the ancient Near East, probably around the Sea of Galilee, was not like the sand that we have at Crane Beach or Salisbury State Park. It was not like that. It was not super fine and nice and nice feeling on our feet. No, it was a sand, it was a, a grainy material that when the water receded, when, it, when, it, when the tides went out, and then the sun came and beat down on it, it would bake it into this hard, crusty surface. And so if you walked out onto it, it would feel sturdy. It would feel hard. It would feel very stable. And so you can imagine why someone might want to build their house on the sand. But it was vulnerable. The second that water hit it, it would lose its hardness. The second the winds and the rains came, the sand would wear down and crumble and the house would go down with it. And that is an analogy, but it is a brilliant one because it is explaining to us that this is our problem. The fundamental problem in our lives is that we have built our houses on the sand. Things that cannot hold us up. Our houses, again, are where we live. Isn't that what this passage is about? This is our lives. Walking down paths, going through gates, building our homes. This is us. This is our lives. Jesus says that the problem is that we can take our lives and put them on the foundations that cannot possibly hold us up. What are those foundations? You know them. We trust money and success and love. We trust our lives on serving the poor and politics and parenting. We build our houses on religious activity, on our goodness. And we can look at that And we can say that is ours. 
When we build our houses on the sand, we can say, we did that. We put that there. So one of my new running routines, I use this app that leads me through kind of a a running workout. At the end of the workout, every time, this little robotic computer voice says, good job, well done. And every time, I say, thank you. I just, I just wonder if anyone can hear me around when I'm doing that. I did that. I ran really hard. That was mine. You look it out in the sand. You've built this house. This is your life. You've put it onto money or success or your goodness. You say, that is mine. I did that. But then it crumbles. No matter how passionate we are for that little house on that patch of sand, no matter how much faith we put into that house on the edge of the sea, it always crumbles beneath you. And I bet you have felt this at times in your life. You have seen the things in your lives crumble beneath you. What you thought was going to be the thing, it's going to be the thing that holds you up. It doesn't hold you up. What you thought would give you meaning and satisfaction and peace and happiness, it does not. Why? Because we're not on the rock. It's not too complicated. We have stayed away from the firm foundation. Why do we avoid it? Why do we not see it? Why is it it not even in our view? Because when we put our houses on the rock, then those houses are no longer ours. To build your house on the rock, on the foundation, is to give up your life. It is to say that the only truly important thing is the foundation itself. And so to build your house on the rock is to let go, to relent, to repent, It is to say with extreme humility, I have been building my life by my own effort, by my own strength, on my own goodness. But no more. Not my will, but yours. Not my work, but yours. But listen, friends, the rocket might look good in in our minds, but it is not. From our perspective, it is like the narrow gate. It is that place where we will have to give our lives. It is that place where it looks like we will die if we go there. Where we put our hands, where we put our lives in the hands of another. That is scary. And that that is what he is calling us to do, to trust him, to trust the Lord so completely that you give up your life for him. That is terrifying, but that is the Christian gospel. That is salvation. It must be by his grace. God must be glorified in providing to you all things, his work, not ours. And this is how you will know him. This is how he will know you. When you go from obeying him for your sake to obeying him for his. That is the ultimate question. That is the ultimate choice. Will you give your life to him? Will you build your life on him? All of the things that you do, will you do them for yourself or will you do them for the great God of 
the universe. Maybe you have been living at arm's length from God. You have been living in and around the furniture of the gospel, but you have never really repented and believed. You have never surrendered your life to him. Or maybe you have never gotten close. But this morning you are. This morning you finally see it. It's there. It's that outcropping of foundation, that rock. You just have to walk over to it. You're finally ready to build your life on his. Friends, Jesus Christ died so that we would see him so that we would relinquish the rights over our own lives and trust, and trust our lives to him. Jesus died so that you would choose the narrow gate, so that you would, be open to this, you would be open to the spacious, free, beautiful life. He loves you so much that he, the Son of God, perished for you. Do you remember the name Jessica McClure? Does anyone know that name? Maybe if I said it this way, do you remember baby Jessica? In the 80s. On October 14th, 1987, she was just 18 months old. And she fell down into a pipe in the back of a relative's yard. Now they call it a well, but it really wasn't that. It was just a pipe. She fell 22 feet into the earth. And the pipe was just 8 inches in diameter. Little baby. 18 months old, and I cannot really even imagine it. I mean, even at the time, I was like 10 years old, and I, I couldn't even really think about it. It was too crazy to understand. But now that I have children, that one of my children, one, my little baby to fall down a pipe like that, trapped below the earth in the darkness, held tightly, constricted. Talk about claustrophobia. Talk about pain. Astoundingly, of course, if you know the story, she was rescued. But Jesus was not. The pipe that Jesus went into for us was unimaginably narrow. The path that Jesus took for us was unimaginably constricting. How big was Jesus Christ? Infinite in size. And he became a human being. How glorious and free was Jesus Christ. And yet he died on the cross for you. Friends, brothers and sisters, you were made to know Jesus. You were made to rest on his grace and bask in his love. You were made to walk through him, the gate. You were made to heed the truth, his truth, the great teacher. You were made to live inside the protection of his righteous work. He provided our goodness. You were made to live joyfully and securely on him, the firm foundation, the solid rock. The old hymn puts it perfectly. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray. God, this is um, by your will that we would now go to the table. This is always a dividing table. There were people, people will come up to receive. 
to take, to eat, and to drink. This table is the proclamation of your salvation for us. It is the reflection of the greatest truth in the history of the world that you have died for us at no cost to ourselves. You have paid the ultimate price that we might be free. Free to bask in your love and joy and goodness starting now. And so I pray for all those here as they are coming to this choice again that you, would, that you would be there, that you would present the vision again and that you would fill that vision, that you would fill their hearts. God, would you do this now? In Jesus' name, amen.